Heavenly Father, You are so unlimited and we are so limited. And even to approach the subject of God, I almost feel like just walking away from it because You are you are much more than a Bible study could ever produce. You are much more than our concepts of You are. You're much greater and transcendent than all that could be said or apprehended concerning You. But Lord, give us Your grace so that we could know You personally, we could know You lovingly, and that our relationship with You would be established more firmly. Lord, I pray that You will be with my heart and my mouth today, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. All of us as kids, one of the first questions we asked our parents is, what's God like? What does He do all day? Where does He hang out? What are the, the kind of things God likes? What kind of food does He like to eat? And those are innocent questions from kids that continue all the way through our lives. We still have questions like that. What is God like? And every human being, in seeking to understand his environment and why he was here, ask a question. What? What's God all about? What is He like? Is He one? Is He many? Is He distant? Where does He live? Is He concerned about us? If you were to take a half-naked tribal bushman from the jungles and bring him over to the United States, without giving him understanding of language or culture, and left him, say, in Coronado Mall to fend for himself, wouldn't that be cruel? I mean, think what would he think when he saw some of the things that we have here? The first time he walked through the store and saw video playing, video music, put it in a different perspective. Let's say you went over to a foreign country that you knew nothing about, you didn't know the language, you didn't know what the people were like, and you had to live in the midst of their culture with their customs and their language, and you didn't know. That would be cruel too. That's tough. There's some weird customs out there, folks. So it is when a human being living in this world tries to go through life without understanding the God who built this world, the God who placed them on this planet, without understanding God and the reason that He's here, He is cruel to Himself. Life becomes crazy, disappointing, and very painful. Life is a bad joke. You sentence yourself to stumble through life blindfolded without any direction at all. If you try to live in this world without knowing God or what He's like, the One who created us, you will adopt the philosophy of the world which is eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And the philosophy of this world, although there's a lot of opinions, is basically, look, I'm here today. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. So while I'm here, I'm going to make the best of it because tomorrow I may not be here. Eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And people see life as just 
you're here by evolution or by whatever cause you're here. Make the best of it. There's really no meaning, no purpose, because they don't know the God who placed them here. In Isaiah chapter 40, I had you turn there because we're going to start here this morning. But before we jump into it, I read a book years ago that touched me because of the title that grabbed me. It was called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. It grabbed me because that's exactly where I was at in my walk. I wanted to know God. I didn't want a theology book to know about Him. I wanted to know Him personally. And in the book, the author says that he believes that ignorance of God is the root weakness of the church. Ignorance of God is the root weakness of the church. I'm pausing because the truck's going by, not because I'm thinking. I agree with that because in my own personal walk, I find that I have a lot of problems when I do not understand God's thinking in a given situation. When I fail to know the mind of God in my particular situation, that's when I have the biggest problems. It's because my view, my perspective of God is so small in comparison. Ask the average Christian to talk about God. I believe if you do that, you will find once you get past all of the expected answers, all of the Christianese that we've been ingrained with, when you really get down to what they think, you will find a small God who is possibly able to do great things, but he really doesn't do great things. He's sort of in semi-retirement. That the view of God that we hold is so limited, it's so small, and consequently our lives are lacking the power, the punch that they should. Because our view of God, the way we know God, is so limited. I have poured through volumes of theology books. You know, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to do a series on God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Now, the standard approach is to use language that most people can't understand, theologianese, to use concepts that are above everybody's head. And so they walk away thinking, you know, I don't know what he said, but I know that there's got to be something there. And as I poured through all of the theology books, the systematic theology, the biblical theology, there's volumes of it, I have found something. And I hope I'm not desecrating or stepping on any sacred toes. But most of it is boring. Not God. God isn't boring. The subject matter is wonderful, but the way He's made out to be is very boring. God is lost in all of the categories and all of the terms. And we could do a Bible study that would last weeks, that would last months. We could cover all the names of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. El Gabor, El Shaddai, El Elyon, Elohim, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. They're all beautiful. We could speak about the omniscience, the omnipresence of God, how that He's tripartite in nature but singular unity. But I think what's most important is since we can't cover all of it, 
unless we, well, we do it every week, we build upon a foundation of our knowledge. That today I will limit this study to the most important aspect of God, and that is us knowing Him, our relationship to God. Because the more we love Him, the more, the more we know Him, the more we love Him. Our relationship with God is what's most important. There is a scripture in the Old Testament in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. It says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the strong man boast in his strength. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But if anyone boasts, let him boast in this, that he understands and he knows me that I am the Lord. Knowing God, not in the knowledge of God, but in knowing God personally. And I've had you turn to Isaiah chapter 40, and I want to begin with verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand has marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth? In a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance. Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Any takers for that? Any hands that I see for people who are going to counsel God and instruct him? Now, we all try that, don't we? God, you could have done this in this situation. What are you doing? If only you would have, we, we give him a whole dissertation, a whole counseling session on how to run the universe. But the point that Isaiah is making is that God is unsearchable. God is unlimited and we are limited. Who's instructed God? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? <laughs> did God knock on your door when he wanted to create this world to get the best overall perspective? Or who has taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge? Or showed the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Look at verse 18. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. Verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He who sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one, he calls them each by name. 
because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Man has always searched to find meaning of life. The basic questions everybody asks, why am I here? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Where is God? Is there someone outside myself? And men are always trying to find meaning for life. I think that's the way God created us, to search for meaning and purpose. But we are limited. Because we are limited creatures, and the only way we can understand God, who is limitless, is that God must show Himself to us, right? He has to reveal Himself to us. If He does not, then we are left with our own concepts. We have to invent what we think God would be like. And you have people doing that all of the time. And so men will turn inward to their own mental pictures, their own images, their own concepts of what they think God is like. Starts when we're kids. I can tell you what I thought God was like when I was a kid. I pictured God. Let's see if you pictured Him like this. Old, with a beard, gray, long robes, sitting on a gold chair, running the universe. Very nice, kind of passive. I had a little mental picture of God. Or, we have the picture that God is angry. He's got lines in His forehead, frowning at people. And he's got this object in his hand. And it's not a, an orb or a... It's a fly swatter. And he's waiting for humanity to make the wrong move so he can splat and judge them. And people have that concept of God as ruthless. Or people have the concept of God not caring. But we all picture God a certain way. We all have concepts of God. What's yours? And is your concept of God accurate according to how He revealed Himself, how He introduced Himself to humanity? I have traveled the world, not all of it, but enough of it to know how different people's ideas are on God. And it makes you think, is my perspective accurate? Is it according to the revealed Word of God? The Greeks had always thought that there were not, there was, there was many gods, not one. But the gods were angry. And the people always lived in terror of them. And so they'd always do things to win favor of the gods because the gods hated humanity. If you go to India today, there's the Hindus who believe in 350 million gods, much the same as the Greeks, angry gods, not personal gods. On the opposite end, we have people who have their own concept that God is distant or He doesn't exist. John Lennon said God is a concept by which we measure pain. Everybody's got an opinion, a concept of God. When I engage in conversations with people and we get to the subject of God and the meaning of life, almost without fail, I get this. Well, I picture God not like that. I picture God like this. I don't picture God as a judge or I don't picture God being like this. I see God as being this. 
And so they have created their own concept, their own image of God. Two weeks ago, I spoke with a young lady from Europe. She was Swiss. She came over to India to uh, see the Bhagwan, Sri Rajneesh, who was kicked out of Oregon. Now he's back in India. Now all the Westerners are flocking overseas instead of going up to Oregon. She was raised Roman Catholic. She believed that God in that concept of Christianity didn't exist because of the way the church portrayed her as being distant and dead and not concerned. And so she gave up on the Christian God altogether. She'd been reading books about this fellow and she heard incredible things. She wanted to be in touch with something real and living. I said, well, what's, who's God? She said, everything. All people are God. We're all a portion of God. She was a pantheist. The sum total of all things are God. Do you remember the second commandment? Do you remember what it said? You shall not make any graven image, right? You shall not form an idol as a representation of what God is like. Primarily because God, the one true God, is invisible. The Bible says no man has seen God at any time except the only begotten of the Father. He has brought him forth or declared him. Jeremiah said, you are a God and you hide yourself, God. You are a God who hideth himself. And we've all felt like that, haven't we? We felt in times of stress or distress. God, why don't you show up and do something here? Why don't you make yourself known? Why have you let this happen? Where are you? Because of that fact, men want something tangible to grab onto, to say this is God or this is like God. And so they'll make an image, a representation. And they'll worship that image, that picture, that idol that they have made and say, this is what God is like. But God has forbidden that. The reason is that there's no image you can make that represents God accurately. No matter what you make to look like God or to remind you of God, it is less than God, right? Because you've made it. So it can never accurately portray the living true God who is above the idol, who is transcendent. And so our ideas of God become perverted, wrong, The glory of God is cheapened, is lessened by an idol. Also, when people make an idol, it indicates that they've lost something. That they've lost the awareness of the closeness of God, and so they need something to remind them of God. Oh, yes, there's a picture. It's in my house. Yeah, that's right. God's here. That's right. I'm a Christian God. That's right. If you need something to remind you of God, start from the beginning. And that's why God forbid the making of anything that would remind you because it cheapens the glory of God. Now, people not only do this with creating actual images or stone portraits or whatever of God. We can do that mentally with our concepts. I picture God as being this. And so when I pray, I close my eyes and I see this picture, this image, and that's God to me. Because man is limited, man turns to his own concepts of God. He can set up a mental image and a mental picture 
that is equally degrading and really not like God at all. We have a mental image. You know how it is when you haven't met someone before, but you've heard about someone. Maybe you have heard a voice or you have heard someone describe this person to you, but you've never seen them before. You start thinking of what they look like, right? And then when you see them, you go. <laughs> Doesn't look anything like what I pictured. A few years ago, my wife and I were going back to Michigan where she was raised to a family reunion. And she is bringing home her new husband, a minister, a pastor. Fine. Bring him home. Well, you really, you have to, it's one, it's, you have to have been there to understand this. But this is a very agnostic, atheistic family. And so they picture a minister as I'm going to come up with a three-piece suit and a huge Bible enough to choke an elephant. And I'm going to talk a certain ministerial kind of a way. Hello, grandmother, father-in-law. They have that image. I'm not just drumming this up. They thought I was going to be a certain kind of a stereotype. And they were kind of shocked. And I went, hey. They said, where's your husband? That's it. Well, because God is invisible, we don't see Him, we can concoct an image. However, there's a danger to that. The danger is that if we do not form the most accurate picture, which comes from this book that describes God's character, we can then worship the imagination of our own mind and be guilty of idol worship. Because it's really not God. It's an image that is much less than God at all. That's why the Bible says, by wisdom, man knew not God. You can't just concoct what you think God is. In order for God, who is unsearchable and unlimited, to be known, He must reveal Himself to you. He must step in, introduce Himself, and say, Hi, I'm God. This is what I'm like. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. And this is the way I want you to live because of that. And God's done that. He's given us His book. He wrote a book. It tells us all about him, what he's like. Let's say you wanted to meet Ronald Reagan and know him as a friend. Could you do that if you just wanted to? Could you? I, I decide I'm going to go to Washington next week and Ron and I are going to have golf and just get real chummy and be good, close friends. What is that relationship of me knowing him personally dependent on? Him. Wanting to or not. He could say... I, I might not even get to him because of the bodyguards. Or he could say, you know, I'd like to know this young guy. Invite him over. If he chooses to reveal himself to me and let himself be known, then I can have a relationship of knowing him personally. If he does not, I'm confined to my own concepts. God has revealed himself to us in a lot of ways, folks, through prophets of the Old Testament, through different revelations, but the ultimate, the fullest expression of God is found in Jesus Christ. And I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1.
Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Notice this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by His powerful Word. God has always communicated to people through prophets, through dreams, through visions, through different accounts. But the ultimate rep of God is Jesus Christ. He is the exact likeness of God. So Jesus came to the earth so men could look at Jesus. In asking the question, what's God like? They could look at Jesus and get the fullest expression because Jesus fully represented God. Philip said, just show us the Father, Jesus, and that's, we're, we're, we're happy. That'll be sufficient. Philip, haven't I been with you long enough that you would know if you've seen me that you've seen the Father? When you see Jesus, you see God. You see Jesus caring for people who don't have. You see God caring for people who do not have. In Jesus, you see God's forgiveness as Jesus touches those who are in sin. You see God's ultimate display of love as you see Jesus crucified on Calvary. You even see God's humor in Jesus by the ones that He picked to serve Him. You see the nature of God fully displayed in Jesus. He's the full representation. You know, I noticed something about my relationship with my son, who, by the way, is now a year old. And that is, when I walk into the room and I say something, I grab his attention. He automatically turns and he does something to acknowledge that I'm there. He responds to my voice. But one day I was standing over him looking down and I thought, you know, I must look awfully big to this young squirt. I'm looking down at him like this and he's so small. And I remember what it was for me when I was a little kid looking up and my mom was so tall. She was the largest thing in the world. I thought. She's only five foot one. But she seems so big because of the perspective. And I noticed something. That if I bend down and get on my knees face to face at the same angle as my son, an incredible change immediately takes over him. He feels like I can relate to this giant. I'm looking into his eyes or if I put him on a chair level with me. That all of a sudden a relationship is deeper established simply because I'm on his level. And he can relate better to me looking straight at me instead of looking like this. And so God sent Jesus so that the full expression of God could be shown to the world as we look at the life of Jesus Christ. What's God like? Look at Jesus. He is God, the second person of the Trinity. Look at His love. Look at His style of dealing with people. That's how God is. So God gave us in the flesh one that we could relate to who is His only Son. And yet, even though God spoke to people, revealed Himself through prophets, invaded history by sending Jesus Christ to show people what God is like, there still remains all of the concepts. The agnostic, the atheist, the pantheist, the polytheist, all the different concepts of God. Why? If God could 
tell people what he's like, if God could come into history and say, I'm God, this is what I'm like, here's my revelation, here's my son, why do people still persist with these off-the-wall concepts? I think Romans chapter 1 will give you the answer. And let's turn there and we will we'll camp on that. Romans chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 18. And I kind of gave this little couple paragraphs a title. The Downward Spiral of Humanity. Verse 18 begins with God being angry. The wrath of God is being revealed. It's like we walk into a courtroom scene and the world is being judged and God is angry because they knew Him but they suppressed the knowledge of God. They didn't want anything to do with God. They turned away from God. In fact, God describes the world. It's not a pretty picture. We'll read it. As God describes the world, He does not mention anything about evolution. That is, man starting up low, excuse me, starting down low, and climbing up higher and higher in all of these series of evolutionary processes. But the opposite, God be, that man began high knowing God and sunk down low. I'll show you what I mean. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all of the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Look at the beginning of verse 21. For although they knew God. You see, history began with man knowing God, with a relationship of some kind established. In the beginning, there were no theology classes. There didn't need to be. There were no atheists. People were too close to the creative time of God. They weren't four or five, six thousand years removed from the creation. People believed and they knew God. They didn't argue about does He exist or does He not exist. In fact, by the time that the atheists started coming on the scene, David wrote, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. History began with man knowing their Creator. But look at verse 20 again. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. You know, nature, creation, is one of the greatest evangelists around. The psalmist says the heaven declares the glory of God, the firmament shows His handiwork, that God through His creation is giving out a message to the world of His power and of His existence. If someone honestly looks at nature, they see that there's design, there's balance, that the stars didn't just tumble into space by themselves. It's not just so happened to be here. And I think a child, even from the beginning, knows that. 
instinctively a child knows, where did this come from? Who made it? I think you have to teach a child not to believe in God for him not to believe in God. He instinctively knows by creation, by what's around him, that God exists. Did it just so happen that the earth is 93 million miles away from the sun? giving us the right temperature to avoid extremes of hot and cold? Is it just so happened that the earth is tilted on an axis just the right degree to give us the changes of seasons, the right distribution of heat and light? Just so happened that we have a beautiful environment of oxygen and nitrogen to sustain life? No. God revealed through creation, thus it says they are without excuse. And by the way, God, and this is what I, one of the things I love about the Lord, He just didn't make us mechanically so that we perform functions, so that we eat and we sleep and we drink and we live mechanically. He has allowed us to enjoy His creation. He's made us so that we can enjoy certain sounds that we hear, certain colors that we can see with our eyes, certain smells that we can smell with our nose, so that we can enjoy God's creation. It doesn't speak of something that is impersonal like Mother Nature, but Father God who is personal and who loves and reveals Himself through His creation. Look now at verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Remember in verse 18, it says, although they, that God's wrath was being revealed because they suppress the truth, they hold it back. You see, man began by knowing God, but they did not let the truth of God affect them or change them. They knew facts. They knew them intellectually. They weren't allowing the truth to change their lives because they wanted to get out from under the control of the Creator. They wanted to do their own thing and live life the way they decided. So they suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. They turned away from God. And when man turns away from God, what's he left with? He's left without a God. And man is prone to worship something. So he substitutes it with something. Whether it's with an image, a concept. Notice what's first on the list, by the way. Exchange the glory of immortal God for images made to look like mortal man. First on the list of worship was himself, mankind. Worshiping man. Glory to man in the highest. Man the worshiper has sunk to man the philosopher in coming up with his own concepts of the world, his own concepts of God, knowing the truth, suppressing the truth, turning from God, needing a substitute. And they became empty and foolish in their own imagination. I found something that I wanted to read this morning to you before we continue. called reverse creation. In the end, man destroyed the heaven that was called earth. The earth had been beautiful until the spirit of man moved over it and destroyed all things. 
This is a sort of a parable on Romans 1. And man said, let there be darkness. And there was darkness. And man liked the darkness, so it was called security. And man divided himself into races and religions and classes of society. And there was no evening, no morning on the seventh day before the end. And man said, let there be strong government to control us in our darkness. Let there be armies to control our bodies so that we may learn to kill one another neatly and efficiently in our darkness. Let us hunt down those who speak the truth at home and abroad because we want our darkness. And there was no evening and no morning on the sixth day before the end. And man said, let there be rockets and bombs to kill faster, easier, And there were gas chambers and furnaces to be more thorough. And it was the fifth day before the end. And man said, let there be drugs and other forms of escape. For there is this constant annoyance, reality, which is disturbing our comfort. And it was the fourth day before the end. And man said, let there be division among the nations so that we may know who is our common enemy. And it was the third day before the end. And finally, man said, Let us create God in our image. Let some other God compete with us. Let us say that God thinks as we think, and that God hates as we hate, and God kills as we kill. And it was the second day before the end. And on the last day, there was a great noise on the face of the earth. Fire consumed the beautiful globe, and there was silence. The blackened earth now rested to worship the one true God. And God saw all that man had done, and in the silence over the smoldering remains, God wept. There's something even more profound for those of us who are Christians in this particular portion of Romans. Look again at verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave Thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Knowing God, failing to thank God and to say this is from God, the glory goes to God. Showed that they had a corrupt heart. Christians, we can never forget the source of our blessings, that it comes from God and we must pause to thank him to glorify God, or else we start turning inward again, thinking, I did this. I'm pretty good. And our thoughts and our hearts become darker and darker, and we start looking at life divorced from God, divorced from His glory, because they were neither thankful, neither did they glorify God. That's a heavy, heavy thing. That the knowledge of God that we have can turn sour unless we thank God for it unless we praise God with what we know about Him, it turns to be theological garbage. Facts, and that's it. Thankful. Glorifying God. Now look at verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, to the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie They worshiped and served the created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. 
In the same way, the men abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust one for another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. The final step is indulgence. You see, when you substitute God with something else, especially your own self, if you become your own God, that means you can do anything you want to do without penalty of judgment. And I make up the rules so I can indulge in anything. And if I'm happy, that's all that matters because I've made up my own rules. I've divorced myself from the knowledge of God. I've substituted with my own thinking. Now, contrasting with this dim picture is verse 17. Because this whole section is a contrast of what went before. Verse 17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In contrast to the wrath of God is the gospel of God. A universal gospel for a universal need Jesus came in the flesh to show man what God is like. And the way Jesus described God was as a father, a heavenly father. And as you've noticed this morning, I haven't given you all of the ideas about the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God. I'm going to let you research those on your own. What's most important, I believe, is that all of us who are seated here this morning understand if you know Jesus Christ, personally, and you're born again, that God is a Father to you. Jesus taught us to pray this way. When you pray, say, Our Father in Heaven. Not, Oh, dreadful Creator, omnipotent, omniscient, mighty One. Although He is all of those things, He is to be respected and to be honored in that. But Jesus brought the distance of God and man. He separated, took away the distance, and He brought God and man together. He said, look, when you pray to him, say, Father. That denotes relationship. That denotes intimacy. The Bible in Romans says we call God Abba, which is Daddy. What a different picture that is from what the people of Jesus' time were used to seeing God as. Some distant, angry God. No, he's your father. Your daddy. You can sit on his lap. You know, a lot of people have trouble with that. Daddy? What if you heard someone, what if I ended this morning, oh, daddy, think, oh, no. We are brought up thinking that we must call God thee and thou rather than father God. When Nathan begins to talk, I would be insulted if I came home one evening and he said, oh, thou mighty dreadful pastor of Calvary Chapel, welcome home. What have you been watching on TV today? That would insult my heart as a father. My relationship with a son. The Bible says to become followers of God as dear children. Dear children. You know, we were born into this world as infants, as babies. Totally helpless and dependent. God could have done things differently, folks. He could have made us like Adam and Eve, who came 
as adults into this world. Probably the body of a 30-year-old man and a 30-year-old woman when Adam and Eve were created. Why didn't God do that? God had us born totally helpless, totally dependent upon parents, upon fathers and mothers. I believe He did that so that that would mold our thinking of what our relationship is to be like to God. It's personal. God is love. He is giving. He's your Father. In World War II, when the Nazis bombed Europe, many other sites, and Europe became the battlefield of nations, there was an American soldier who was walking through the rubbish, the rubble of the war-torn city. Buildings were toppled. Smoke was rising. There was a few shops, and there was one shop in the city, a pastry shop. And he noticed this little child in rags just staring inside of a pastry shop. His face was up against the window. The soldier thought, oh, you know, where's his parents? I don't know. So he decided to go into the pastry shop, the soldier, buy a bag of donuts, walked outside and handed them to the little kid. Walked away. As he was walking away, a few steps later, he felt a tug on the back of his shirt. He looked down, he turned around, and there was this little kid staring him right in the face. And he said, Mister, are you God? Because even that little kid instinctively knew that God was somehow personal and loving and would assume the role of caring and nurturing his own children. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful that You sent Jesus Christ into this world as the full expression of who You are. God wrapped in skin so that when we see Jesus, we see what God is like. And how thankful we are that Jesus introduced You, Father, as a Father. Yes, You are mighty. You are powerful. You can do incredible things. You can do anything. But above and beyond that, You are intimate with Your creation. Lord, I pray for everyone sitting in this room this morning that if they haven't established a relationship with You, come to know You as their personal Father based on the blood of Jesus Christ, that even at this moment they will surrender their lives to You. In the sanctuary of their own hearts, they'll say, God, take over. I want to know You. Lest they suppress the knowledge that they have of God and their foolish hearts become darkened. 